the ED doc recommended I go see the concussion clinic because I was experiencing post-concussive-like symptoms. And I do make my way over there and what always jumps out is that at the point where I am sitting in the patient room, I am on the bed and I am talking to the nurse practitioner and she's aware that I work within her network and we have a very nice conversation, very long conversation about what I'm experiencing and what it is. And it was used from the start. The word it. The word it. And you know, I had nausea, dizziness, fatigue. I was having all these emotional spells. I was very agitated. I was anxiety driven. These are, these are all just not me at all. It's like I'm a different person. And the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm realizing, like, right, right to her right, is this giant sign that says the word CONCUSSION in all capital letters. And the more I'm talking about it and staring at the sign telling me what it is, just like, ah, shit. Welcome to Health Stories, real stories inside the healthcare system. The podcast where we invite you, the listener, to listen in on real-life stories of clinicians and patients. In these interviews, our guests reflect on their experiences and share with all of us their insights and their suggestions for how to navigate our complex healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deffenbaugh, and today I'm joined by Dr. Dan Burke. He is sharing his story with us about becoming a chronic patient. So in part one, you told us about how you became an acute patient in the ED after your car accident. And today we're going to learn about what it's like being a patient, a chronic patient on the other side. So tell us more about what happened next. So concussion, some big letters behind your head, but you didn't actually have a diagnosis of a concussion, right? Not until that point. And the, the truth is, I didn't need anyone to tell me I had a concussion. I At that point, I I knew I did, which is weird to say because at the same time, I, I, felt, I felt normal, but I was not normal at all. And it was a very, this weird kind of combination of the two feelings. It was like, I, th- th- this, I have to have this at, at this point. And we started really picking up the conversation and as if I had it. You were the MP? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I asked a few questions just to verify that I definitely did, and she agreed with that. But I, I came in with a lot of um, knowledge and a lot of insight about these injuries previously. Um, and I, I wouldn't say a lot compared to a specialist who deals with concussions, but just someone who's compared to a patient, compared to any patient who's walked in, I have spent significantly more time. So I'm fortunate enough to have that training. You're, and with a patient, one of 
the big sticks with that is a lot of time you're not trained for what you're walking into to talk about. You're talking to people who are to pass that insight on. Um, I remember walking away from the ED and I had this, the, my, the diagnosis was post-concussive symptoms. And, you know, and for me, I'm like, it's a kind of, it's a kind of funny diagnosis because it's explaining I have, I have these, I have these slew of weird symptoms that resemble a concussion, but we're not going to call it that right now. You have, you have to, you have to go see someone who specifically works with concussions to say, yeah, yeah, all, all those symptoms, they're, they're, they're definitely that. Not, nothing's really changed. It's just, we need to, we need someone who says you have a concussion a lot to officially tell you that. So what was that like? You didn't actually have an official diagnosis, but you were being sent to a center to get a diagnosis. Is that correct? Yes. Now for me as the patient, and this is when I started to accept, like I need to change my philosophy with this. Cause that as, as a physician, I thought, yeah, the EDs are acute. They're acute settings. They have, it's not their job to say you have a concussion and provide further workup with that. Their, their job is, hey, we need to make sure you're alive and functioning and there's nothing acute going on. So you can go see someone who's in a scenario that can deal with those long-term things. Okay, so that's why they don't often give you a diagnosis yes. when you're in the ED. Okay, so that makes, that, that is, there's so much transparency now with what you just said that we don't, we don't know why. Yeah. They don't get a diagnosis, and so that's not their job. So that's why you were, you know, it was recommended yeah. that you see a specialist. Yes, yes, and you, you don't, we don't want them to make. They really should be focusing on, hey, what what's going to kill you right now, and you're good. There's nothing, there's nothing bad going on. Thing, thankfully, so we're gonna tell you what we think and who we think you should go to to provide appropriate care better or more, more appropriate care because they are the quote unquote experts. And it was that initial thought that I looked at that diagnosis and I was like, well, what the hell does that mean? And I, I knew what it meant because I'm, because just for being on the physician side, but that initial thought that like, Hey, this is, it's kind of confusing. And then I finished with like, you know, if I was a patient in this scenario, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite know what I have. Like, do I have a concussion or not? Why do I need to go see someone else? Oh, it's, it's weird. Because if you think you have something, we're like, well, we don't want you to. We don't want, we don't want to tell you that. We want someone else to tell you that. Too. And they'll probably tell you that, but we just, uh, it's not our shtick. Um, Where else were you suggested to, to go? Was it just the concussion center? So the concussion center was the uh, gateway. Once they officially gave the blessing that, yeah, you have a concussion and you're, you're, not, you're not quite seeing straight right now. You, we now give you a slew of resources here to, you have to go see all these different people to really try and build up your balance. And this is with concussions, this is more, this is new. Um, the, the concussion, the research about concussions has really exploded over the last 10, 20 years. Um, back in the day, rest was a lot more focused. That's not really as much of a focus now. Um, a big thing I was now exposed to over the next few weeks afterwards was vestibular therapy. I had heard of vestibular therapy. I referred someone there at some point, but 
I didn't quite have the full grasp of it. So I went, so vestib the vestibular system deals with your balance. And when I was in this accident, the, the truck, which it was a giant tractor trailer, um, and it really more or less uh, misaligned my neuronal system that deals with balance. That's not uncommon in serious incidences. I was surprised it happened to me because I didn't, still don't recall banging my head or losing consciousness, but 25% of concussions don't, don't need that initial impact, which I wasn't aware of. Wait, so say that again. So 25% of concussions, you don't... You don't actually have to bang your head on anything. I was, in my scenario, I was just shooken up so much in the car from when the truck hit me that that giant mass shook my brain around enough in my head to it caused those symptoms. So vestibular therapy was supposed to help with your balance? So there are two components to vestibular therapy. There was a physical side, so it's more you're walking and you're talking and you're moving your head around and you're looking at all these different objects and more how you get through daily life. Whereas the, and then there's this other component, the occupational therapy component. And that was, well, how, how are you functioning, um, processing information with a concussion? And so that was a lot more, hey, start adding these numbers up. It's kind of a grade school-esque. Hmm. And admittedly, I wasn't very good at it at the beginning. The, uh, the first day I went there, they stopped me halfway through because I, part of, part of the diagnosis test, they're seeing if you have vertigo, they're seeing if you have anything else. And, you know, they, part, of the, part of the time they have, they place your hands basically over your ears. Sounds like they put in earmuffs on you. And they shake your head in different directions to see if your eyes, how, how your eyes respond. And it's important. Your eyes are really an essential, essential component with the concussion because you're not responding to your environment and you're really with in this case you're responding based on what your eyes are seeing so if that wiring is not set up which it wasn't quite right in my case that's where a lot of the issues happen so the eyes and the vestibular system and how they all interconnect so this was very driven so you went to a, a concussion center, vestibular therapy. Was there more to the story? Yeah. <laughs> it did. You know, I, I thought, like, okay, yeah, well, now I'll just go to those two and be done with that. But there's more. I, now I was like, well, I should probably see a primary care doctor at this point because I, I need one. Because that was the first thing. I felt like that was the first thing everyone asked me. Hey, who's your primary care doctor? And I'm like, well, I don't have one. And I, the last time I had seen one was when I lived somewhere else. And that was a while ago at this point. So I needed to quote unquote, establish care. And I, so I did that as well. Um, and went, went through that whole process. And it also, so now I have a primary care doctor that was more driven towards overall health, but explaining, Hey, I'm here because, uh, I sort of should have been talking to you guys sooner, and I didn't. And now, uh, now that I'm seeing all these people, I thought it'd be a good idea to come by. Okay. Um, then, in addition, uh, the, the list started to keep growing of people I needed to see. Um, I was definitely going through 
acute stress from the accident. And that, that can absolutely happen with something traumatic over the first month. And I I would just wake up and just be, all all these emotions would just pour out of me and I just start crying. And I had no, no rhyme or reason. I mean, when I'm going through it, you know, I feel like, okay, well, this is definitely from the truck accident. But when I'm going through this emotional spell, I'm not, you know, you don't attach it to anything. It just, it just sort of pours out of you. So I thought, yeah, okay, so now I should definitely see a psychologist for this to talk things through. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I did that. Uh, it just, uh, per, per, personally, I feel everyone should see a psychologist at least once a year. It's just good to get a voice that's not your own in your head because we do live in our head. We live in our memories that we sort of fabricate because as we go further away from them, they don't quite stay the same. The details start to fade, so we add new ones in. Um, so it's good to do that. I was really happy I did because what it, it gave me a perspective that now, hey, I'm I'm going through this. This is natural, and I'm overall happy. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky that was all. I think that was another component that started coming in at that time, and especially started to realize that when I was talking to that person, it was that I very easily could have been dead and the odds were not in my favor to really have to really experience uh, just a now just a concussion um and i think that was another thing that was starting to weigh on me now is because as a physician i've you you see accidents and there's sometimes people get a lot they're a lot more worse off than what uh, an injury a, a traumatic episode details they can really have life-altering changes from something that was very innocent. And for me, this was the quite the opposite. I mean, and I think that it was repl- I'm replaying unintentionally, just, you know, truck could have ran over me. You know, I could have been going 70 instead of 60, and then I would have, who knows if I would have, the car would have flipped over. Um, so that, so now I have this whole psychological component now coming in, in addition to feeling like crap from all the vestibular therapy, which was a good three times a week. So was it suggested to see a psychologist or you said you did that on your own? I did that on my own. Um, I had, I have a feeling that my primary care doctor would have mentioned that to do that as well, but I already had something scheduled at that point. Oh, okay. So, well, so now there's this web sort of evolving. So going back through, you got a concussion center, you've got vestibular therapy, your PCP, and your psychologist. Yes. Okay. And it's it's these four for the next for the next few weeks. More 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 parties will start joining. Oh, there's but, more. Okay, yeah. so there's more to the story. Okay. Yeah. So what was what was it like for you to have gone from and, and I'm using your words you were a, um, considered yourself to be healthy young physician and uh, didn't have a PCP which makes me think of uh, what's it called the caregiver physician syndrome right taking yeah. care of others before taking care of yourself um, 
And actually, that reminds me, there's a Journal of Supportive Oncology of 2013 talks. There's a, the title is Caring for Oneself to Care for Others. So it sounds like you're kind of going into this next phase of really addressing what happened in the car accident, both physically and psychologically, right? And so you're finally getting the care that you need in order to move forward. And you are now, would it be fair to say, a chronic patient in, in some ways? Yes. <laughs> so what happened that as I walked away from the ED, started going to the concussion clinic, I started getting as I, the, those initial seeds, right, that, you know, I'm not a doctor in this scenario. And the really entering uncharted waters for me with vestibular therapy, um, the, the acute stress that came with it, um, it the, that sort of trauma, it almost feels like, it just feels like a, like a, like a rock is just like banging on, banging on your head. And it's just, it's, it's there. It, it comes and goes sometimes and it, it goes away in this case, cause it was acute, which it thankfully did. Um, but this, this now was my life for a little while. And I had, you know, I had, a, I had a schedule. Who, who was I going to see today? And the big thing is when you, you have a concussion, you, you don't have that much energy to do many things. You think, oh, you have all this time off and you can just sort of kick back. And it's, rest is very different than recovery. And re recovery, recovery is not fun because you want to do something and everything you do has a consequence. I mean, that's more of a consequence than normal uh, because you're, you're giving up valuable minutes and you, you only have so many during the day and you're not quite sure how much time you have to do things because there are some days I'd wake up, I'd see a doctor, see a therapist, they see a, one of the, a physical therapist and I would go home, I would sleep for four hours because I felt awful and then wake up and do something and try and watch TV for an hour or two and then I've, I, it, it exhausted me. You're allowed to by the way, you just have to close your eyes every 20 minutes for 20 seconds mm. <laughs> to kind of reset your circuitry. So I I really just felt like I was wandering around for a while in the in the abyss in many ways. So as a physician, were you did you take time off during this these few weeks? Yeah. Yeah, I took a I I took around a good month off. Um and it was it, as each week went by, I almost uh I felt like a computer charging up. And so that's sort of like with each week I'm articulating better. I am, you know, I, I think the first week I felt like I sounded like I was in high school. The second week I sounded like I was in college. The third week I'm sounding more like myself. Um, but I didn't realize that unless I looked back at the previous week and said, oh, hey, yeah, yeah, so, so I look, look very different now. Um, 
and you just uh when you're in a recovery phase which i did not appreciate until then it you you sort of lose some sense of orientation of the days and the weeks and what becomes more of my milestone markers instead of monday or tuesday or hey it's a it's friday yay um what what appointment do i have today oh well it's been two days since my last occupational therapy one so i probably have that today and i'm due to see a therapist um that that becomes much more your your foundation that you work around so being a patient you could you might say it was kind of your full-time occupation for a while i think there are many people who with chronic conditions they become full-time patients is there a time that you transitioned back into being a full-time physician and what was what was that like for you still are you still a patient at times? Are you still a patient now? So, y- yes. And I, the transition back, one of the initial insights I really appreciated when I walked into a room. I remember within my first week back, um, I was working at a hospital. And remember the first time walking in to talk to someone, I, you know, I, being a patient was all, all I had known for the last month. And so I'm, I'm suddenly walking in as a patient and a physician. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I now have two mindsets to kind of bounce off each other. And I really made sure really tried to not to lose that Um, because it's as I talked about if you previously if you really come in and look at if you're trying to assess a snapshot photo of a a full movie if if you take a snapshot of like like the Lord of the Rings in a particular spot like in in the Shire if you if you were a hobbit at some point and looked into that photo, you'd have a little more idea of where you're oriented, the the uh, characters that are in the photo, the food, the culture. There, there's a whole culture that's established as being a patient, especially ones that where you're more actively seeing physicians than others. So it's as I'm stepped away from it as time has gone on, I make sure to not lose that culture, that atmosphere that this, uh, that every patient brings. I mean, everyone's very unique with their own scenarios, but there is a component of, you know, letting go of full control and having others care for you. I, I think the, because um, you had mentioned that in the last podcast about letting go, having trust in others, vulnerability. 
Um, but as a primary care physician yourself, you see a lot of patients uh, in an outpatient setting. Um, so you get to really help coordinate their care and manage their care. So what's that? So thinking about you um, having had your experience in the Shire, so that's a great metaphor. We'll, we'll keep on with that. So you've uh, been in the Shire. How, I guess my first question is, do you disclose to your patients that you have wandered through the Shire? Have you uh, told them about your patient experiences? What's your philosophy on that? So I, I have not specifically gone into an ac- my accident with anyone actually diagnose them with a with a concussion <laughs> but I have I have not gone in directly um, my and it's I share things about my life on occasion what I care about because the, the problem is I don't have enough time to just go on about myself because if it's it's a long story to begin with i can i can message mention in passing i have a concussion um and i but there's more effective ways for me to be personable what i can do is take the tools from that from that episode i can i can explain the frustration of of waiting and for a physician after it's taken a long time. I can, I can articulate the frustration when I have patients that are seeing a lot of specialists. I make sure, okay, who are you seeing? Give me a list of six doctors. When are you seeing them next? What are they seeing them for? The, that, to me, is the my form of expression of what I have experienced through this uh, duration of illness I, ha- I experienced and to utilize it in the most effective way for care. If I had an hour with every patient, I'd happily talk to them about my life and go and go into it too. But it's really, uh, I draw a line with the direct details because a lot of times I'm, you know, I have, I have 15 minutes and you're usually here with problems that take more than 15 minutes to take care of. So I, I almost feel I would be intruding on their quality time that we have to really continue appropriate care for them. Because I've heard some patients and, and our, our listeners are going to hear some noises as some folks are walking by. Um, but our, I've heard other people say that it, for them, it was it was helpful to hear a physician say, "Oh, I have the same condition, or I've been through this before," um, and so I didn't know what your personal thoughts were about sharing with somebody else who's had a concussion when you diagnose them. If that's something that you share with them or not, I I have a feeling, years from now, I'll talk about it with patients. Um, I've, I've talked about I've talked about broken bones. I've talked about um, you know just acute illnesses I've had before. My allergies I've definitely gone into. Um, I think even though significant time has has gone by at this point, it's it's a little too real for me yet. 
And the one thing I don't want to do is bring all the not not the emotions with it because I I'm, I'm, I feel I'm or at least I've been I shouldn't say I feel, I've been told by many people <laughs> I'm I'm more an emotional person to begin with and I want to make sure that when I'm with someone my emotions are guided for their health if if I bring that up now with them it will it will interfere and when that interference stops i'll start talking about it casually with someone but it's just it's it's not there yet i would i would like to one day it'll probably happen because I, I can just go on about things but uh not not yet you'd mentioned uh, the emotional part and i think that was i i want to say thank you for sharing that and uh, wonder how much how often you suggest to patients that when there's something physical that they consider the psychological and emotional part of an illness or an accident too because you very freely shared that you saw a psychologist for this car accident um, in addition to the vestibular therapy and PCP and all these other individuals so how much is that a part of your practice that's uh, that's the underlying part of my practice um, the mind, people say the mind-body connection, and there's certainly different stigmas that get attached to it. Uh, I almost went and said it just now, but you're, we do not have, we do not have appropriate knowledge about how we develop our emotions, how we develop our feelings. We're starting to understand some underlying genetic components, but the neural makeup that that has evolved with us over years, over decades, over generations, over millennia. Um, religion or no religion attached to this statement. That that's all happened with our bodies. We've how we act has a direct direct uh, correlation with how our bodies feel. And it's very different between each person, which makes it even weirder. Some people go through very tragic accidents, and that provides insight for what true happiness is for them, and they are inner peace. For some people, it does the exact opposite. And where I'm going at with this is the individualization requires constant open communication not just with the physician and the patient because as I keep going back to my analogy that's the snapshot you have to make sure that open conversation leads to more conversations that patient can have with other people when they leave so do you encourage your patients to open up to you and share their their concerns or anything that's happening emotionally for them I, I let them have the conversation. I will not. I will never force force someone to have a conversation with me about something they're not ready to talk about. The biggest thing is I give them the freedom to make that decision, and 
way more often than not, that freedom is what they're looking for to open up. Yes. You had mentioned, so I want to go back to the list. You had concussion center, vestibular therapy, PCP, psychologist. You said there was more. Kind of de interested in hearing the more. Where, where else did you end up going for this? So I went, me, I went, I went to a neurooptometrist. I didn't even know that existed, in all honesty. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I had not heard of that until then. Uh, they specifically were focusing on my eye movements to make sure they were appropriate. And that w thankfully, that was. But that was a whole... It's like a, when you get your eye tests for, for your glasses. It's sort of like that, but it's a little more future age. I was staring at different computer screens that were really tracking my movement. Um, the other component of occupational medicine. So I had to go see someone who specifically deals with work and your health and, hey, can you do what you were doing before, before this all happened? So then that was a whole other workup as well, which that turned out to be fine. And at this point, that's, that should be where it ends. Nothing's happened since then. Well, so are you a patient? Do you see anyone anymore? Any of this list? I've been cleared from just about all that list, and I will... I have to go see a dentist now. Thanks for, thank <laughs> okay. you for reminding me. So you need to see a dentist. Okay. Well, and, and, and so as we wrap up, one of, you know, another question in terms of the physician syndrome is, so how do you take care of yourself now? Is it different than how you thought of yourself and cared for yourself before the car accident? So, yes. Yeah, I do. Um, with with uh, each breath, there's a responsibility you have when you're alive. You, if you look at the the endless amount of time that exists, there is a we're we're in a sliver of it. And I, me personally, I feel I'm in a thankfully I've I'm in a position where I can I can make a difference with people, and when. Someone, some something, however you want to call, it, pulls the rug underneath you, and you fall down. You land flat on your face, and you're like, "What, what the hell just happened?" When you get back up, and you know you're you're still standing, you're walking, you're talking. You, I, I have taken personal responsibility to make sure each moment I am alive, I am breathing, a a happy mind comes in there there is there is great joy not with material but with out material with breathing with enjoying all weather with enjoying conversation with enjoying sadness you're allowed to be sad and happy at the same time it's actually really cool um with acknowledging the there is many things you will encounter you will not have answers to. With all that, you are in a position to appreciate that, or you can continue, because all, all those, those components are really around you, but you can live in you 
and replay things over and over. And it's important that you make sure you are enjoying your surroundings at all costs, at all times. No. And when you step away from that and dig in, that's when you really start to lose grip. And I've, since the accident, I've really tried to stay true to that. It's easier said than done. Sounds like it's really had an effect on you. And as you know, somebody who's a chronic patient myself, it's really, really heartening to to hear how the person sitting across from me, you know, the physician when I'm when I'm in a patient encounter, uh, is a human being who's had a lot, and they have their stories too. Because you were saying in the previous podcast about being mindful about not judging the patient who's in front of you because you don't know their whole story. And I'm sitting here hearing your story thinking, oh my gosh, here's this young physician who's had this car accident, who saw six, like we counted six different specialists who became a chronic patient himself. And I don't know your story. And I know your story now, but I would never have known your story if you were my physician. And it reminds me about your humanness as a physician, you know, that you're a human being, the physician syndrome that you take care of others before you take care of yourself. How this conversation alone reminded you that you need to make an appointment with your dentist. <laughs> you know, these are, these are things that um, we forget. And, and especially since for myself, I get caught up in the system. You know, the 15 minute appointment you mentioned. I get so frustrated that my appointment can't be more than 15 minutes and 15 minutes is sometimes long. Um, and so it was, it's, as you talk about being happy and being in touch with your emotions and all the things that you've learned from this accident, it, it also helps remind me as a chronic patient too, um, that there's a lot of stories that we don't know about the person who's treating us and who's caring for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, kind of tying that all in for me you know I, I think when I started with medicine I mean we're talking even before med school I, my I, I'm a music more musically inclined I thought you know if, if I walk into a room you know just from a metaphorical standpoint I'd you know singing a melody to try and help ease whatever ailment and the further I have gone along and going through this life experience in particular it's I'm not just singing. It'd be really helpful if I sing and, and you know strum a guitar. It'd be really helpful if I sing and there's there's a couple other voices that are singing around me. And the, you you can have with the, maybe with a, maybe some bass. You could really have all all these different components of sound come out at one time to make something beautiful, even more beautiful to help. And that's kind of ties into with optimizing time you know we've you can have a not just a solo singer but a choir singing to you it's okay and we'll get through this and it's those uh elements that are really subconscious that i've worn gone through that i try and bring and that's how i've learned to optimize what i've learned into that time is it fair to say then that when you have somebody who's a, a you know chronic patient that you're really coordinating this symphony 
of people and specialists in, in order to help them to recognize their health. You are. And to be well. Yeah. You are the conductor. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Dr. Burke, I cannot thank you enough for being our guest. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh, and we appreciate you listening to Health Stories, real stories inside the healthcare system.